It is Wednesday, March 29th, 2023, and welcome to episode 200 of Fault Lines, the National Security Institute's podcast that gets you quickly up to speed three times a week on the national security and foreign policy debates shaking up America. I know it's been a while, but for our 200th episode, we're back to our usual crew, Lester Munson, NSI Senior Fellow, Jamil Jaffer, NSI Founder and Executive Director, and myself, Jessica Jones, Deputy Executive Director here at NSI. So what's the story today? On Monday, Vice President Harris started a week-long tour of Africa and will be visiting Ghana, Tanzania, and Zambia. Harris is the highest-ranking Biden administration official to come to Africa so far, uh, as that White House seeks to reset relations following the former administration. Um, President Trump never visited the continent. Um, In fact, so far, five Biden cabinet secretaries have visited Africa, including Treasury Secretary Yellen and Secretary of State Blinken. While Secretary of State Blinken's recent visit focused on the country's security challenges, the vice president's tour will take her to nations facing serious economic problems. The VP started off her trip by announcing that the U.S. plans to invest hundreds of millions of dollars in the continent. However, the vice president is fighting the perception that Africa is simply the latest arena for America's geopolitical game of chess with China and Russia. For example, Harris called on foreign lenders to restructure Ghana's debt, a far-reaching problem that has engulfed many countries throughout Africa. But while Ghana's president expressed gratitude for the U.S. investments, he emphasized that Ghana's leaders do not see themselves as facing a choice between the U.S. and China. In fact, Ghana's finance minister was at the same time had just been in Beijing leading negotiations with the Chinese government. You know, with all that being said, what what do we here on the team think, you know, what how does how do African leaders see VP Harris's visit Does it carry more significance than the former cabinet officials? Or are they really just waiting for President Biden? Les, what do you think? Well, I think it's fine that the vice president is going to Africa. Although, to be totally honest, I think this trip seems more of like a tourism visit than a real diplomatic engagement from the White House, from the administration. There are serious issues on the African continent. Uh, South Africa is uh, sliding into total chaos. We're just coming out of a massive civil war in Ethiopia with untold numbers of casualties. And in the Sahel region, um, there's instability that is undermining at least half a dozen governments. I mean, Africa is at uh, as, as not unusually at a, at a place where there's some real serious issues uh, that folks are facing. And I don't get the impression that the vice president is engaging directly in those issues during this trip. She's instead going around seeing some tourist sites. She's throwing off some attacks against Republicans on domestic politics, which is a, a ridiculous waste of time while she's in Africa. I think that's that should be off the table. That's not something American officials should be doing when they're traveling abroad. Uh, so I, I really wish this trip had a different focus, a more serious tone, and was actually addressing the issues on the continent that matter. Jamil? Yeah, no, I think, I think Les is, yeah, Jess, I think Les is exactly right. I think that, um, you know, the vice president herself has been, has been largely sidelined by this administration. And so um, it's unfortunate uh, for her and unfortunate for uh, the African countries that she's visiting that she doesn't really have that much influence within the administration. That being said, I'm thrilled to see her uh, going to my uh, my home country, my parents' home country of Tanzania. Uh, three generations of my family came from East Africa. We're ethnically Indian, but uh, we have strong roots in the in the African continent. Uh, my parents still speak Swahili um, and, uh, and have taught us some at least some curse words um, in uh, in 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 that African language. Um, so look, I think it's 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 there's upside here. But the reality is that, you know, one, while Vice President uh, Harris is trying to, you know, play that this is not part of our long game against China, the reality is it is part of our long game against China. And that's partly because 
China has been hugely focused on Africa. The U.S. has held two summits uh, with the African continent writ large. Uh, China has a every three-year forum on China-Africa cooperation. They're the they're the single largest trading partner uh, by a massive amount, um, four times uh, the U.S. amount of trade. Um, in in Africa, two hundred fifty four billion dollars, by the way, um, from China to Africa, the two way trade to in two way trade. Um, China is also the largest provider of FDI, right, supporting hundreds of thousands of African jobs, double the level of U.S. foreign direct investment, double. Um, and you know, uh, we've talked about China's uh, you know horrific loans where it extorts uh, you know stuff from the people it loans money to, and uh, China is the largest lender to African countries. So. You know, if we really want to play in Africa, the vice president going and showing up and making a few announcements is great, um, uh, but it's not nearly enough. We need to make a sustained commitment to that continent. And this goes back to the larger question of the American people's interest in foreign affairs, um, in engaging in these kind of activities, which require a long term commitment. Um, and the need for leadership in Washington to really emphasize why that's so important. Yeah, to that point, you know, we see a, a, you know, we talk a lot on the show about the Belt and Road Initiative, and we see a movement from infrastructure deals to more of these rescue bailouts, which is something the U.S. has done for decades now. Les, what do you make of that? You know, now what are Belt and Road, you know, investment countries are now becoming the bail the bailout countries for for the, the CCP. Well, one of the aspects of China's Belt and Road foreign aid program is that it, it's making all of the same mistakes the U.S. and the West made two generations ago. Back in the 70s, uh, the U.S. And, and other countries were, were making massive loans to developing countries. It's a terrible idea. It burdens those countries with massive debt, debt that's not going to be paid. It's not good for the, for the uh, donor country. It's not good for the recipient country. China, for whatever reason, is making all the exact exact same mistakes we made 50 years ago. They shouldn't be running a program like that. We know better now. For some reason, China has decided to ignore those lessons of history. And a big part of the reason there needs to be debt relief in developing countries is because of these terrible loans that uh, China has been foisting on these countries. Now, I shouldn't say foisting because, you know, recipient countries have agency here, too. They could say no to the loans. But there are very few countries that are in a position to do that. Realistically, they're they're so in need of economic development and, and jobs and that kind of Kind of thing that they're, they're willing to say yes to a lot of bad ideas. Shame on them, I guess, for doing so, but really shame on China for putting those countries in that position. And I think the U.S. needs to be careful that we're not somehow facilitating debt relief that actually helps the ridiculous Chinese foreign aid program. We should we should make sure and this is incredibly complicated financial arrangements, but we need to make sure that the stuff that we're doing is not, in fact, de facto helping China's absurdly ridiculous foreign aid program. I also have a question, you know, as I was reading about this, um, you know, the Biden administration has been trying to make inroads with the African diaspora uh, population community, of which uh, a large part lives here in the U.S. That's something that perhaps China doesn't have a large of a presence in, right? You don't have as much of an African diaspora in China. Is that something that we should continue to build relations with, ties with? Like, how can, how we can build the momentum there, inspire and connect uh, folks that live here in the States with, with, their, with their families abroad? Well, I mean, I mean, the, the US, there's no one's better at this than the United States. Doesn't mean we do it perfectly. We've got diaspora communities from almost every country in the world. We're gonna. There's a huge African diaspora here in the U.S. Uh, in the last generation or two. A very uh, incredibly productive part of our economy. Uh, entrepreneurial, smart, well-educated, really accomplishing a lot. I think the thing that we can do to kind of push that along is look for more 
and this is kind of anathema politically now, it was more free trade deals between the U.S. and African countries. Let's support trade. Let's let's find ways to establish those economic links that have frayed a little bit in the last generation. We need to double down on stuff like that. That's that's the best thing we can do in the long run for African countries, in my view. Awesome. That That's a wrap. Thanks to Brooke Agacon from NSI and Claude Jennings for their help producing today's episode. Join us again on Friday for another episode of Fault Lines, the podcast that gets you smart fast on the national security debates shaking up America. And if you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.